So here we are. I have ham-fistedly been trying to avoid this spoiler for the entire series. So on the off chance you watch these before you watch the episode, go watch the episode. <laughs> it's your last chance, because I don't want to hold on to this one anymore. <clears throat> nah, I'm kidding. I'll give you a few minutes, because first I want to talk about Rom and Lee, though. The very fact that this episode has a B-plot weirds me out. And, well, it's partially because this episode was originally supposed to be a B-plot. They were going to do a thing where it's like, oh my god, Zimmerman's trying to make a new AMH, or excuse me, LMH, based on Bashir. Whoa, comedy. Now, the funny thing is, that actually sounds fine on the face of it, because they actually brought in Robert Picardo. He's awesome. And then they brought in uh, Alexander Siddig, and they brought in David Livingston. There you go. Formula writes itself, right? Well, apparently they decided that didn't really work, and they wanted it to be more of the focus of an actual A-plot story. So they pushed it up and upgraded it and added some depth to it, but everyone was like, no, we need some drama. Now here's where we get into a weird topic, because um, the point is that I'm not talking about the Brahm and Lita story like I just said I would. <laughs> so Rom. <laughs> Rob is just so pathetically awkward in this episode. It's actually a little bit hard to watch. I like Max Grodenchik, and I, I like Chase Masterson. Actually, I want to give some praise to Chase Masterson for this episode, because I want you to re-watch this episode, or have recently rewatched it, and watch her face in all of her scenes. She actually does a really good job of portraying you know, simultaneous shades of hesitance and excited and just a little fluttery, and, and then she's uncertain, and there's just sort of a, well, I guess so, and disappointment when things don't go her way, and, you know, she does a lot of little nuances of the portrayal of her, her emotions, which are admittedly one-dimensional emotions, but she does a really good job of showcasing it. It's nice to see her being allowed to act. <laughs> and Livingston, who is probably my favorite director in Star Trek, right up there with Frakes and Burton, uh, Livingston does some really, really good stuff with some nice, tight moments so you can actually see every little detail on her expression as she's trying to get across what she's feeling at the moment. It's good stuff. It's very good stuff. I also want to say... <clears throat> so... Uh, there's a scene not too far in where he basically listens in on their conversation... Now, I only point that out because we've heard many times before now in Deep Space Nine that Ferengi have very superior hearing. Now, we all just kind of accept that in the same way we accept most, you know, they have better such and such when it comes to fiction. But this is the first time we, human beings, normal human beings, have a direct parallel to exactly how good their hearing is. Because he is hearing their conversation on the upper level across a crowded room, and then we cut to the conversation which is being said at normal volume of just like a regular conversation. In other words, normal people sitting one table over wouldn't be able to hear them. Never mind someone a floor down and several dozen feet this way, right? So, it's a nice little showcasing of that. There's also... <laughs> I mean... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just... I, I wanted to just shake Rob. Like, dude! Dude! Come on! I know, I know, I know. I shouldn't be so horrible. I mean, I've had my own girl troubles in the past. I mean, you guys have seen Inside Out, right? Girl. Girl. But this particular problem has never been one of those. 
And I, so I, I can't personally empathize with Rom in this situation. Lita is flinging herself at him. In almost every case, hi, Rom, I came over to talk to you on my break. First thing I did on my break was come to talk to you, Rom. I mean, come on! And she always does that. She makes a pattern of it. So there's no doubting her intent. And so, you know, oh, you want to talk to me about something serious while I'm on a date with another guy? Let me immediately abandon the guy I'm on a date with in order to come talk to you. Is there something you want to tell me, Rob? And how about the final one where she comes in and she's like, I mean, it's a great opportunity, but I don't know if I'm ready. I mean, I guess I don't have any reason to stay. Do I have any reason to stay? I mean, she's she is basically flat out asking him. The only thing she didn't do was basically say, all right, look, Rob, Thursday, uh, my quarters. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty much as, as much further as it could go. Now, that being stated, I understand why she doesn't. Because she doesn't know if Rom is interested in her. Rom is so inept that he has not properly gotten across whether or not he actually has any romantic interest in her. He's awkward and stumbling, and that's about it. And so that's, well, to be perfectly blunt, that's not enough. But it also isn't definitive. Does he actually feel anything? Uh, now we know he does because we see him when he's not around her. Right? So I kind of get where she's coming from on this. And then there's this really funny scene where, um, <laughs> yeah, we heard you the first time. And then, you know, I love you. And, oh, my God, I love you, too. Yay! And you could see Chase Masterson. Now, for those of you not aware, the Ferengi have, have stuff in their mouths to make the fangs. And apparently it's, it's a thing for the actors to be able to talk around having this extra thing in your mouth, which kind of explains why some Ferengi sound the way they do when they're talking. It's because they literally have stuff in their mouths when they're doing it. So... You see Chase, and she's going in for the kiss, and then it's like there's just this millisecond hesitation as she sees the spikes her lips are descending towards, and she immediately, like, course corrects right at the last second. It's very funny to watch. Anyways. Um, so, and and obviously the, the this the kind of pseudo-dovetails into the A-plot because of the Zimmerman connection. The funny thing is, some people have argued whether or not Zimmerman had any legitimate feelings for her, or whether she was just hot. And I'll let you decide yourself on that, but although I do feel like pointing out that he does pretty much immediately get over her because there's this other hot chick. And I hate to say that, but I say that that way in a more derogatory sense because that's clearly what his mindset is in this moment. Ooh, shiny. Now, <clears throat> that being said, given what we know of Zimmerman over on Voyager... Well, it wouldn't be too much to assume that this is a man who really doesn't form long-term, large-standing commitments, either as a matter of policy or because, well, he's a man who surrounds himself with holograms after all, right? There's a reason for that. I actually find myself wondering, and this is just my own private little headcanon, I know the creators didn't do this because, as we've discussed many, many times, the creators of DS9 and the creators of Voyager basically never really talk to each other. I'm specifically referring to the executive producers, the main producers, the, you know, the mainliners, and the writers. No coordination between the groups. This is something that was actually complained about uh, by Ronald D. Moore in particular several times. But anyways, point being that 
even though this is pure headcanon, I like to think that this was his first attempt at trying to make something a little more permanent work. Okay, she's hot, but she's also kind of nice, and, you know, she's fun to be around, and he actually enjoys her company, like in a, in a real way, rather than just in a, oh, I can't get wait, get wait to get into bed with you later way. So maybe this was his attempt, his first attempt in a while, at trying to make something real, which immediately fell flat on his face because she fell for a Ferengi. And I know we like to say we're all non-biased in the Federation, but we're totally biased in the Federation. So I'd like to think that this is one of the reasons that basically pushed him further back into the laboratory, if you get my meaning. Oh yeah, by the way, quick note while we're talking about Zimmerman. I looked up the dating. This episode actually occurs about 11 months before um, Message in a Bottle. Is the episode of Voyager. Very good episode. That's the one where we meet the EMH Mark II. I point that out because that gives us a little bit of a timeline of events here. We could see that at this point in time, the EMH is probably still being considered and probably still being design decided to be a failure. Thus, he decides to make the LMH as his method of trying to recoup from that. The LMH project obviously fails, given the events of this episode and the fact that it's never mentioned again, which leads to the EMH Mark II and three and four, but that, that will eventually be coming up in... Uh, I don't remember the episode, but the other episode where Zimmerman's in it, <clears throat> over on Voyager. Also, as a quick aside, it was great seeing Robert Picardo again. I, I am such a huge fan of his, and it was just really awesome seeing him. Uh, moving on. <clears throat> so, that's probably enough warning. Julian Bashir is genetically engineered. Okay. God, I've been holding on to my, that on my chest for like two years now. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is? I keep having to bit these spoiler things up at the corner. No, no, go away, go away. I keep having to put up these spoiler things in the corner because I kept wanting to talk about his genetic engineering and his superior humanism, or whatever the hell you want to call that, and the fact that it was relevant in previous episodes. Now, to be clear, none of that was intentional. I've said this so many times, DS9 is backloaded storytelling. To give you an idea of just how backloaded... They had already done most of the work on uh, By Inferno's Light and In Purgatory's Shadow, whichever one was last. But both of them, I guess, since they were working on them at the same time because it's two-parter. They were already working that and finished work on that and had sat down to write this episode, and then they decided that he was genetically engineered. That's how last minute this really is. You think the, the, the changeling thing was last minute. This just... Oh, yeah, by the way. Bashir's not a changeling, but he is a superhuman. Congrats! Now, a lot of people have said over the years what they think about the superhuman thing. So before I go anywhere else, what do you think of it? I don't mean the genetic engineering itself. That's a whole other topic that will actually come up again in the future, which I'll talk about as well. Look, I got a, I got a lot to unpack here. But what I'm trying to say is, what do you think about the retcon that Bashir is a genetically engineered superhuman? Honest question. I've heard a lot of different opinions over the years that range from interested to disappointed to initially discouraged but then improved to hate it, to love it, to totally don't care about it. All sorts of opinions. I'm curious of yours. Mine, I actually just gave in the middle of that because I'm one of those people who looked at that like, really? But then they did something with it, and that's always my thing. Okay, you're going to do something stupid. Yeah, he survives getting bisected in half, sure. Do something with it. Well, they did. They did. And that's where I give credit. So, I do think this is kind of an, a mistake. 
I wish they had decided this on, on in advance because, as I've pointed out, there's actually a lot of evidence that this is true. I mean, obviously, none of this was designed, and yet the bit with the uh, Armand Bashir, um, oh god, I can't, uh, it's not the Begotten. What's the name of the episode? <sighs> the one where he has the the Lethian mentally attack him. Um, Homefront was an episode. Is there anyone you want me to give a message to? No, there's no one back on Earth for me to talk to. You know, there's all these little details throughout his past, and they never written Bashir's past. They never actually sat down and designed it as writers. So every now and again, one of the individual episode writers would just toss out a tidbit, and all of these tidbits actually did form a cohesive pattern if you sit back and look at them all. The boy who went into sports but eventually decided to just not become a professional racquetball player, even though he wanted to, even more than medicine, because they're going to have more stringent testing of things like genetics when it comes to professional sports. Or how about the fact that he, the, the, the pre-ganglionic, post-ganglionic thing, I mean, that's just the most obvious thing, right? How could he possibly screw that up? Well, no one's going to bat an eyelash if you make one big weird mistake, but for the most part, you're otherwise perfect. The, the second place does, just doesn't get the kind of attention that first place does. And wanting, the, state, wanting the, the assignment out in Deep Space Nine, frontier medicine and research. Yeah, and also the fact that he is so far away from the, the microscope that he can probably for the first time in his life relax a little bit because he's probably been on edge and tense about this for so long. He's a lieutenant. He has, been go he has been in Starfleet for many years. And this has got to be that kind of thing, I like to think of it as an axe that is just resting on the back of your neck. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not actively sawing, no one's chopping away at you, but it's just sitting there. And you can't get away from that sensation of that sharp blade just resting there, knowing that at any point in time, <laughs> right? got to be what he's been going through for so long. And it must have been such a relief to get out to D-Space 9 and just be able to unwind a little bit. And as I pointed out back in Arman Bashir, he pulls off a lot of things in that episode that are, frankly, superhuman. Now, it's all just kind of brushed over because he's supposed to be Bond, and it's his program. But, well, as I mentioned in that episode, it makes so much sense that it was the one place he was allowed to be all that he can be in the art... Er, wait... <laughs> Now, this is also, I've said this so many times, Star Trek lives and breathes on its guest stars, and functionally Robert Picardo is a guest star in this episode, but so is Brian George. He plays Bashir's father, uh, Richard, and uh, the woman who plays Bashir's mother, I actually don't have the actress's name right here, I'm sorry, uh, that would be Fadwa El oh jeez, I'm going to screw that up, Gwindi? God, I'm so terrible at pronunciations, Fadwa El Gwindi, I think, she plays Amsha Bashir. Both of them are very good. Uh, in fact, I actually mention this because uh, Mr. George, Brian George, the guy who plays his father, actually went out of his way to leave an, uh, a comment in an article, or excuse me, in an interview, about how he appreciated being treated like he actually mattered in an, in an episode, even though he was just a guest star, and the fact that he was allowed to act despite being a guest star, which, from a lot of the other television work he's done, isn't really true in all shows. But, of course, at least part of that is because, A, this is Star Trek, again, lives and breathes on its guest stars, and, B, this is David freaking Livingston. So, a lot of pieces came together for this one. Now, I should at least acknowledge really quick that, obviously, since this was designed way, in, way after the fact, even though there are lots of facts that show that this makes sense, even retroactively, there's also plenty that don't. 
I'm not going to name individual circumstances because I don't have any off the top of my head, but you know what I mean. You know, this you can tell that just came out of nowhere. Um, Alexander Siddig was informed about this Tuesday when he was getting the script Thursday. And in fact, he has spoken, well, actually, he said a lot about this topic over the years, and I'll cover more of his discussions and thoughts on this over the years, but he both liked and hated this. The biggest thing is he felt like the producers just sort of took his character and ran in a different direction with it without consulting him. Now, that may sound like a stupid thing. I mean, what does an actor have a say in their character? If you're saying that, then you've never been an actor or a director or a writer, for that matter, when it comes to these kind of works, because in many cases, actors absolutely do have a say in their character. They, they, they put themselves in that headspace in a way that most other people don't, and they live and breathe that character and try to pull out that particular performance and presentation, and they are, in many ways, the best <sighs> magnet for who and what that character is. An actor absolutely should be consulted when it comes to their character. Now, that doesn't mean they get absolute say on their character. We've got to have a little bit of give and take, and the writers obviously t sometimes understand things that the actors don't. But for a writer to flat out say, okay, by the way, uh, you've always been a changeling, you know, just to make up something, is the kind of thing that an actor should be kept in the loop on, in my opinion, something that they should actually consult with them on. Like, listen, we want to do this big reveal. And to be honest, I don't think Bashir, excuse me, I don't think Alexander Siddig would have minded as much if they had consulted him ahead of time. But then again, there was no ahead of time to consult him. Remember? This was decided right at the end. So, kind of a mess. And there's one final thing to bring up. I kind of joked about this earlier, but really the reason he was made genetically superhuman was for drama and nothing else. It was actually the same basic problem with the threat of the week, which I've spoken so many times about. They wanted there to be some big, dark secret that they uncovered in his past so that they could have the drama of the episode. And that was it. That was their goal. Now, I'm willing to let that go because, spoilers, future episodes are going to continue going into this topic. So I'm going to save most of my genetic engineering thoughts for future episodes. And future episodes will actually do something with this topic. So, in this episode, it's not like it isn't done very well. I mean, there are some really great scenes between him and his parents, him and O'Brien, and, well, even with the Admiral at the end, played by uh, McCormick, who does a really good job, actually, of Admiral What's-His-Face. But, even though he can't tell what two centuries is, although that's on more, actually. But anyways, point being, I feel like they didn't have good stuff with it that I'm willing to forgive the fact that their initial reasoning was what I would consider flawed. There's a lot of obvious pride in the EMH and the LMH, actually. Uh, and, of course, he mentions his perspective of how he's going to do a very thorough investigation and basically dump tons and tons of data into the computer. And he goes into details, too. I want to know about your culinary pers perspective so you can actually form culinary opinions to share them with cust you know, patients and blah, 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 blah. Just... Tons and tons of it. He really goes into detail about how much depth is necessary for this whole thing. I like that. I've always kind of admitted, let's just be 100% honest with ourselves, guys, the holodeck is kind of magic. Like, there's a way, I firmly believe, there's a way to make the holodeck make sense, but I also don't think they usually don't bother to try that. Instead, the holodeck just kind of does its own thing. But that being said, one of the ways I've always enjoyed... The, the fact that a holodeck can make recreations of people, including personalities, is because of these kind of interviews. 
Now I know what you're saying. Well, most people don't undergo extensive interviews when it comes to making putting that into a database so they can recreate them. And that's absolutely true. But the computer does draw from a lot of information to extrapolate personality and tonality and per perception. I mean, that happened with Leah Brahms back in uh, Booby Trap, for example, right? And so we see, and of course that wasn't even a 100% accurate portrayal of her, it's worth noting. So we see how this showcases the method by which the holodeck draws its information to design its characters off of. Except in this case, he wants this to be as thorough and accurate a representation as possible, so he's going way more in-depth than other things would. In other words, to put this simply, if you have three points, you can draw a triangle, but if you have a thousand points, you can draw an actual shape. You know what I mean? Anywho, uh, there's, a, there's a really, really great scene that I just want to give amazing praise to, and I put all of this on Livingston, um, because it's a scene where the camera is first person staring at the person doing the interview, just like this, right? And that's not enough by itself. That's nice. But what's really awesome, and this also kind of comes into the writing side of things, is that he functionally says one long series of questions, and each answer and question smoothly segues into the next interviewee. And so it just shifts from character to character smoothly and without hesitation. And it's awesome and very smooth and very well done, and I just love that scene every time I see it. I also love the fact that most of them speak relatively badly about Bashir. Also mourn. You gotta have the mourn joke. Shrug. But I bring that up because my favorite part of that scene, other than the wonderful technical execution of it, is O'Brien's bit. You gotta understand, no one's ever gonna hear this, right? No one's... He's, he's never gonna read this. Total confidentiality. Okay. He's amazing. And he just praises him. He just gushes about how he's a kind-hearted, intelligent, driven, passionate person who he is honored to be his friend. You could just see that. And that kind of continues something that I've always enjoyed. The very, and I say this without hesitation, sarcasm, or even a hint of bitterness, the very manly friendship between O'Brien and Bashir. Because guys just don't have friendships the same way other people do. You know? And there's nothing wrong with that, if I could be completely blunt. The f <laughs> I really do not hate you anymore, right? That's such a guy thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And so the fact that he absolutely does not want Bashir to know how highly he thinks of him, he speaks of that in private, that's awesome. It even comes up actually later in the episode when they start doing darts and Bashir's like, hey, I just wanted to thank you. And O'Brien cuts him off. Nope, none of that. <laughs> Especially not during the game. Now, you might think, oh, guys are just afraid to understand their feelings. No, 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 no. They just express them differently. What O'Brien just said there was, I got your back, bro. And he meant it. And you'll notice, the one person who is most determined in this entire episode to work their way through this dilemma is O'Brien. The scene where... Ah, the scene where... <laughs> he talks to his parents. It's very heated. Very interesting in its own right. Uh, Amsha, again, the peacemaker, does a really good job. Uh, like I said, both, both parents do a great job. Uh, what I love most about it, though, is that she is constantly, at every turn, trying to bridge the gap between father and son. That is actually very interesting, because that implies right there 
who the one was who made the decision, who actually pulled the trigger. And that information is wrong. As we find out in her confession to him, she pulled the trigger. Her, she opens her heart to him. Oh, God, you wonder, did you do something wrong during the pregnancy? Did, did you pass on some kind of defect or genetic infant? Maybe you screwed up. Maybe you shouldn't have been there. Maybe, 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 maybe. Can you imagine for a moment what it would feel like to be a parent of a child who is, let's say it as simply as possible, disabled, who is mentally retarded? I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a statement of fact. Someone who is not fully capable and cognizant the way that other more normal children are. And just to think, what did I do wrong? It's not that he needed to be fixed because he was horrible or awful. It's the fact that he needed to be repaired because, well, because he did, to be completely blunt. Because there was something wrong with him. There was a, a incorrection in him. Now, that would explain why they wanted to repair whatever damage was done to him. And Lord knows the medical tech exists in this setting, especially for people who are Federation citizens, to be able to pull this kind of thing off. That doesn't explain why they go ahead and super-engineer him. That's the dad's side. Because the mother wanted desperately to, to make up for what she perceived as her own failings as a mother. She felt like she was a bad mom. That she failed him. That she screwed up. And the dad wanted to give him every advantage possible to make sure that, well, we're doing genetic engineering at all, which I remind you is illegal. Any kind of genetic engineering other than the type, they mention this later, uh, it, any genetic engineering that does not specifically resolve a life-threatening problem is illegal. So what they were doing to repair Bashir was still illegal. So the dad said, go all out. He's going to have to need every advantage he can get in order to be able to make it through this. And we get a lot of pieces of the puzzle without being told them outright. I love this kind of exposition. I really do. Because Bashir mentions, he tells his story to O'Brien. It's very, very good stuff. As ever, the two are just great. It's another one of those, you put these two in a room and it's just awesome kind of things. So, Siddig is sitting there and he tells this whole story. And you can just feel the... There's not even disdain in his voice when he says unnatural. What you hear in his voice is a total and empty resignation. He's been worried about this for most of his life now. It's not until later when he confronts his dad that any real emotion enters his voice other than simply, I give up. And I bring that up because, based on what he tells O'Brien... He didn't even realize it at first, or as a kid. It's just all of a sudden things made sense, and all of a sudden I was the star pupil, you know? No, no one questions success, right? That means at some point in time in his life, I think it was when he was 14, if I'm remembering my facts correctly, his parents informed him of what they did to him, and that led to the separation. <laughs> and that leads into my first topic, before I discuss the rest of the episode. That topic is... Being born into success, basically. Now, usually nowadays we think of that in terms of financial. People who are born rich. People who are born into wealthy families, who have whatever they need provided to them, etc., etc. But this is a true thing when it comes to many things. Some people just are better at hand-eye coordination, at construction, at logical deduction, at mathematical proofing, at 
blah, 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 blah. There's just so many different things that people are better or worse at others than. It's kind of part of the nature of being differing rather than homogenous. <laughs> so I bring that up. That topic itself is a huge topic and one that I am not prepared to discuss in a video about Star Trek. But it is a topic I feel we should think about. Because I can only give my opinion on this. I, I cannot definitively tell you right or wrong or correct or incorrect. All I can tell you is that I think it matters why and how. What do you do with it? Okay, you were born rich. What do you do with it? Okay, you were born stronger, smarter, better, faster. What do you do with those talents? Do you let it go to your head? Do you act superior and smug? One of the most repeated phrases when it comes to Star Trek and genetic engineering is superior ambition, or excuse me, superior ability breeds superior ambition. Now, I don't actually buy that, personally. Granted, we're talking about science fiction and what is basically magic science, but... I don't buy that, because that's not really true in real life. Ambition is relevant to the individual regarding specific circumstances, which may include a variable that happens to be the circumstances of their birth. But that is a variable. It is a, it is a variable, but it is one of many. I don't think that people who are superior in some way, I hate to use that word, uh, are just automatically going to be evil or good. Or anything whatsoever. I think they're just going to be whoever they are based on living. I mean, <laughs> to go with the in-universe example, Bashir is a perfect example of that, right? So, what has Bashir done with his talents? He went into medicine. He has tried very hard to do the best he can in order to use those abilities to help save, heal, and restore others. He gives that whole speech about fighting back death. Remember that? The whole, you know, just pushing back death one more day. That, that was kind of a thing for him, right? I like to think that he looked at those talents and said, I'm going to use these for something good. Now, if I'm being 100% honest, the original impetus for that was probably, screw my parents, I'm going to make this worth it. Or perhaps, screw my dad, I'm going to make this worth it. But somewhere along the line, that went from being a childish fit of peak to an actual ambition. And here he is, Deep Space Nine, uh, someone who was actually in consideration for a very high venerated medical award, someone who is one of the top picks for the LMH program, someone who has very sincerely and obviously accomplished many things with his life and his talents. Now, did he get a big head about them? Did he decide that he was better than everyone else around him? Did he decide that he deserved more? Make a spit on you! I deserved better! No, of course he didn't. Now, I'm using uh, extremes to exaggerate, and I do apologize for doing so, but I guess my point is, to me, it doesn't matter per se. It doesn't matter from a judgmental perspective how you were born. What matters is what you are. <sighs> now that I've lost 10,000 viewers, I, I flatter myself I don't have 10,000 viewers. Ugh. I actually don't have much else to say. Um, there's this really great... There's just a lot of really amazing character scenes between Bashir and O'Brien, between Bashir and his parents, and then between basically everyone right at the end. There's a very minor touch I've never noticed before, and I've watched this show like four or five times, however many we're up to at this point. Um, when, you know, the, the sentence has been given, McCormick gave his speech, I'll touch on that briefly, and then 
his parents are like, ah, and Bashir's, and and Cisco just comes over and really quietly says, "Take all the time you need," and then just pats him on the shoulder and walks out. That is just a level of friendship and understanding, and it's great and it's subtle and I love it. I can't believe I never noticed that before. Anyways, so. <laughs> the dad decides to go and make and make a deal. He says, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to talk to Captain Sisko. He is part of, he's a captain. And like it or not, captains are part of the upper echelons of Starfleet. They're not that high up on the rank, relatively speaking, but they have connections. And Sisko has connections to many admirals, which have a lot of sway back in Starfleet Command. So he goes straight to a captain. He says, look. And he makes a deal. He basically pulls a plea. But he does it with all of the right intentions. I want my son. And this is another reason why I say he's the one who pushed for the superior part rather than just the repair part. I want my son to keep being able to live his life. I don't want his life to be destroyed or ruined. I'm going to suffer this. You notice the dad is the only one who accepts the responsibility for that, by the way. He's the one who's going to prison, not her. Now... We could argue the whys and the wherefores of that, but I would say very bluntly, that's just part of the plea. It's not that they made the decision unilaterally, or independently, or they're jointly responsible, or whatever. But that he is taking responsibility, legally, onto himself for this act, and being willing to pay this price for doing so. Now, admittedly, two years in a, in a low security, you know, low, uh, I can't think of the proper term all of a sudden, uh, I can't remember what it's called. You know, a low-difficulty uh, Federation prison is going to be the relative equivalent of going to a hot spa for two years. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, we've seen Federation prisons. They are resorts. So this, this does, this, some of the sting is taken out of this. But at the same time, this man is willing to do this and effectively say, two years of my life are going away for you, son. And that is powerful. And... Well, I think it says all it really needs to, doesn't it? I said I'd touch on it briefly. I, like I said, the genetic engineering, the second topic this episode brings up, is discussed more in detail later. But he does bring up why we have this whole thing. Why, you know, McCormick brings up the thing as the admiral. Why we have this whole thing about anti-genetic engineering. O'Brien actually mentions they haven't had a case in a century. The real reason genetic engineering became the thing is because of all of the topics, all of the science fiction topics, Star Trek usually dodges around that one. Point in fact, there is more stuff about genetic engineering in Star Trek in Enterprise than there is in all of the other shows combined. They actually did a mini-arc about it, in fact, which is actually an arc I really enjoy over in Enterprise, because that's when Enterprise actually started being good. But, um... But no, I, I really do find that interesting. And, and of course, the creators found that interesting, too. Why do we just dodge this topic? It is a very serious, very real topic. And actually, I guess it's... I don't know. Whatever. Sorry. Is it five episodes in Enterprise? Because there's four episodes elsewise. I shouldn't say that so definitively. I hate to say that. Ah, whatever. Point being, it's, not, it's covered more in Enterprise than it is elsewhere. Let's just summarize that. And... Because that's true. One of the things I find strange is that it became such a taboo for a reason that is kind of weird when you think about it. The Eugenics Wars happened, which is an event we know almost nothing about. 
Again, it's we, we literally learn more about it from Enterprise than we do anything else. And that's their reason. Two centuries ago, actually, sorry, three centuries ago now, there was a eugenics wars, and so we don't do genetic tampering. There's a lot of reasons, really, to actually sit down and say, we're not going to allow genetic engineering. There really are. And again, I'll discuss those later. But I find it funny that the reasoning is so flat. Well, we had a war once, and we don't want another con. I find myself wondering if that is the real reason or, well, if the more large-scale societal, political, cultural, uh, competitive concerns are the real reason. And we know, kind of spoilers, that Section 31 is at least cognizant and aware of the whole genetic engineering thing. So maybe they're the ones who are policing this. Because you can't tell me they didn't know about Bashir, at least if they cared. Anyways, that's all I've got for today. Uh, if I am not mistaken, this will be the last episode of 2019. So thank you, everyone, for joining me for another wonderful year of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'll see you next time.